Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Lit Sot podcast, where books are lighthouses in the sea of time. Today, uh, I'm, I'm your I'm your, one of your hosts, Gabe Meyer. I'm here with my uh, co-host Aiden De Groot. Hi, Aiden. Hello. How are you doing? So uh, today we are going to talk about uh, Oedipus in Colonus. We're gonna kind of breeze through that one. It's uh, and then we're going to talk about Antigone, the third play in the the Ventrilogy by Sophocles. I'm really excited for today's episode. Uh, sadly, we do not have Isabel with us today, but she might be joining us halfway through the episode if she gets my email in time. So, um, I'm going to start this off by just doing a really quick summary of Oedipus and Colonus and just what happens in that play. So, uh, basically, Oedipus is on the road to Colonus, and he's there with his daughter Antigone. And he, Oedipus is old now, and he's been kicked out of his home city, and he's kind of sore about it, and he, he's kind of complaining about life for a lot of this play. He's just kind of, like, moaning about, Oh, my life is so sad. Man, I just got dealt a rough hand. It's It sucks. But you're awesome, Antigone, because you've stuck by me this whole way, and yada, yada, yada. So they come upon this forest, and it's like this holy forest, and they kind of plonk down there, and they're kind of resting there. And this messenger comes up, and he's like, you can't sit there. It's a holy forest. The gods are going to come and devour you or something. And then uh, he's like, well, uh, I don't, they, can't, they can't do me much worse than's already happened to me. So I, I'm just going to sit here. Why don't you? And he's like, no, dude, you got to move. And he's like, well... Well, I'm not going to move unless, like, the king comes down here and tells me to move. And so he goes and he fetches the king. And, and the king is this nice guy. And he's, like, like sympathetic to Oedipus. And he's all ready to take him in and, and you know, be nice to him. And then, uh, uh, and then at some point, the king of the other city, Creon, if you remember him from the last episode, um, he's kind of uh, Oedipus's enemy. He he uh, he actually sorry. Uh, Creon's messenger comes first, and he says, "Hey, Oedipus, actually, we want you back in the city that we just banished you out of." And Oedipus is like, "Heck no! Why would I want to go back there?" And um, so then well, Creon I mean, comes really and he's like, "No, you should really come." And then the king of of Athens, uh, uh, he's like, "Well, no, I, I think Oedipus should stay here." And they kind of bicker for a while, and then. Uh, uh, at some point in there, Oedipus's other uh, other daughter shows up, and there's a bit of a reunion there. But uh, suffice it to say, at the end of the whole play, uh, Oedipus basically goes into the woods and dies. So, yeah, <laughs> what I miss? Um, a few things um, that I would like to point out. First of all, back like when you introduced Antigone, um, and this is kind of important to keep in mind, Antigone is actually one of the earliest plays Sophocles wrote. And Oedipus in Colonse is near the end of his career. And so, like, Antigone and Creon are already well-established characters from the Antigone play. I'm assuming right. that probably plays a role into why their characters are described the way they are. Um, that makes sense. Also, keep in mind, um, Oedipus is... The place where Oedipus is dies is supposed to get like a special like protection from Thebes. Um at him right. dying in Athens is important because Thebes is an enemy nation of Athens, as I pointed out last week. So these are all somewhat important things. Just a note, um Kalant is like the home city. Well not home city, like home little village outside of Athens that um Sophocles grew up in. Oh, okay. I was I was wondering about that. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't actually know much more than that. I heard it from some professor of classics. So it's like a, it's like so, a suburb but, of Athens. Well, it's a suburb, yeah. I mean, you have to keep in mind, like, the Athenian, like, the actual citizens of Athens are, like, really rich people who don't do anything because they have slaves who do all the work. <laughs> yet they're like yet they're always busy because they're trying to run a city. Right. So I mean it's the idea that like the CEO of a company does absolutely nothing but they still have work. 
Interesting. Yeah. No, I've heard that before. So, I mean, these are not... These aren't, like, poor people when you hear, like, the elders of the, of the outside, like, areas near Athens are all relatively rich, powerful people. I mean, they're nowhere close to what Theseus is because he's in charge of all of Athens. That but, makes sense. I mean, it's probably, like, the difference between, like, the buyers and, like, the gates. The Myers being, like, the people who own all the Meyer stores, which is, like, a very common grocery store here in West Grand Rapids. Right. In, like, in more than just the Grand Rapids area. I mean, but it's very... Yeah, it's, it's bigger. In Grand Rapids. Um, so... But, like, the Gates family are, well, one of the richest families in the world. Totally. Right. So, I mean, it's the difference between the rich and the extraordinarily rich. So, rich and richy, rich, rich. Gotcha. <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, if it's all right, let's 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 just jump right into the questions. Um so uh, first, uh, first one, first one of our discussion questions here uh, is: Oedipus guilty for his actions, or uh, are they, as he puts it, justified? So we talked a little bit about this last week, right? Like, whose fault is it that Oedipus ends up uh, uh, falling from grace here? Right, and I mean, last week it really sounded like he was opposed to, like, felt that he was fallen himself. Like, he called down that curse on himself. Well, not specifically on himself, but, like, he called down that curse. And, like, when he dies, not dies, when he um, finds out that it's him, he goes and plucks out his eyes. I mean, he seems very remorseful. Right, right. So... But now in this play, he seems a little bit the opposite way. He's like, oh, man, I'm just a victim of circumstance here. Right. I mean, when he talks about him sleeping with his own mother and having both a wife and the mother as the same thing for him, he says they didn't sin. He was serving the state. And it was, like, not even really his fault. Right. I mean, especially when you talk about him murdering his father, they, like, you get the specific, like, quoting, like, the, um, elders of the town of Colons are asked, ask him, how do you plead on this? And Oedipus responds back, a plea of justice. And they say, how? I slew who else would have slain, would me have slain, is what it says. Right. And, I mean, there's this level where he's saying, I killed in self-defense. Right, yeah. You're, I'm not guilty. I it's mean, yeah, I that. killed the guy. But so, I, I wonder why his attitude shifts. Why does he go from, like, oh, man, it's it's all my fault. I want to run away from the city. And he's like, oh, no, it's it's not my fault. I got kicked out of the city, and I, and I want to go back. Is it perhaps that he's older and his no longer feels the um, immediate shock of it, and there's a level at which he's admitting that like he was rash in his judgment of the situation. Right. And that to some extent, and I'm wondering if maybe we're supposed to take this and apply it to like other cases in which we judge someone else and say, well, you are obviously guilty and deserve like the maximum punishment. And if you actually take some time to look at it, it might come to light that they actually had reasons why they did what they did. They're not just a psychopath killing people. They may have, have reasons for this that justify to some extent, and we should um, help them. Perhaps this is, to some extent, a modern example would be, like, do we just throw people in jail, or do we try to, like, make jails a way to help people, like, get therapy and try to make criminals better for society? Right, yeah. Is is jail rehabilitation, or is it punishment? Right. 
I feel like I lately mean, we've kind of swung the the. I mean, we always swing back and forth, but I mean, it it seems to be punishment right now, especially with all the uh, you know uh, marijuana incarcerations that happen. Well, I mean, marijuana incarcerations basically are punishment. They are right. Well, I mean, it partially is because we feel like we have to do something because we don't like they we because we're not willing to legalize it. But we nobody actually thinks marijuana is like a major problem, which is weird because it's a Schedule One drug, which means that it's worse than cocaine. But nobody it's actually it's thinks worse that. Worse than cocaine? Yeah, it's cocaine is Schedule Two. Oh, really? I mean, because I was going to say, I mean, you talk to just about anyone and. Well, I mean, though they might think that you shouldn't do it, almost no one actually is really mad over it. Right. I wonder I if, don't, that, oh, if marijuana, uh, but... Oedipus could have used a little bit of uh, weed at this uh, this uh, down point in his life. Might have, might have brightened his outlook a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, so... Um, so Theseus, the he's the king of Athens. He he comes out and he's like, "Hey, oh poor Oedipus, man! Yeah, you can come and live in my city." He's portrayed really, really nice. Like he's a really, really great guy. Like if you, if you're reading it, you go like, "Man, he's he's great." So, uh, it, are are basically is he is he being portrayed this way just because he's the king of Athens and Sophocles is from Athens and he's just being nice to? Athens in general. I I I would say so. I, I feel like I get that impression. But I mean Sophocles kind of has that liberty to write that way if he wants. I mean he's the guy writing the story, so if he wants to portray Athens in a favorable light, sure, go ahead. He can write a very nice character that is the king of Athens. Is it believable though? Is it does it make sense that uh uh the king of the city that is the enemy of Thebes is uh really super well, nice to its former king. <laughs> well, but keep in mind, I mean, Thebes and Athens weren't enemies back in this. This is like hundreds and hundreds of years before. Like, like Theseus and Oedipus are like from an age of heroes, which comes like ridiculously long before like the conflicts of the time. So, I mean, though Thebes and Athens are enemies now. They haven't always been enemies. That's true. That makes sense. Um, when I wrote that question, I guess I really, I really was thinking about the fact that there are, well, especially like the play Hercules or Heracles, because it's Greek and not Roman, um, has a very similarly portrayed Theseus. Um, it's in which he comes and he finds Heracles who has just murdered his entire family. Um, he kind of got cursed by Hera, which caused him to go crazy, and he thought he was killing a whole bunch of like enemies. But he okay. wasn't killing a whole bunch of enemies. He was killing right. his family. So it was kind of a bit unfair for him, and that's kind of what... Theseus says, he comes in and he's like, this isn't really your fault and you can get back your honor and I'm here for you and I'll help you out. Right. But, I mean, it seemed like less of a... I don't know. I mean, there's a level where Heracles is, well, the hero of all Greece. and I mean, yeah, he just killed his family, but, I mean, he's still Heracles, the strongest guy alive, where... Oedipus is the guy who didn't just kill his family, he killed his own father. Right, yeah. Kill his wife, he slept with his mother. I mean, these are much worse things. I mean, he didn't just... So, I mean, there was a level where is anyone really this nice of a guy? Or are we just making the guy who can represent us into a state? Right, just because then we feel better. I, I think probably both. <laughs> yeah, there's probably both. I don't know. I mean, when when do you see an American movie where we uh, like portray America as uh, you know 
not so great. I mean, we like to be patriotic. Yeah, you're you're probably right. It's just I don't know. I I always have I I like a bit darker of a character to begin with, and so this like. Goody two shoes, Theseus just seems a bit hard to believe that he's also the guy who left his girlfriend on an island and completely forgot about her. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's more to Theseus than meets the eye. <laughs> oh, well, then again, he is kind of a leader, so he has to be a bit of a diplomat, right? He's probably practiced at being really nice to people, especially foreigners. Yeah, but still, I mean, he forgot completely about his girlfriend and just left her on an island. You know what question I have? I'm wondering how much... Okay, so do do people believe that a lot of the characters in these Greek myths were actually real characters in history, however mythologized they have been, or, or are these completely made up? Like Oedipus, that that feels like a thing that could have totally happened. Okay, so like the story of Oedipus, very likely, I mean, so whether or not people believe they're real, I mean, you look at someone like, yeah, um, the guy who wrote The Save God and Confessions, he's a Uh, St. Augustine. Yeah, St. Augustine. Um, He, um, in The City of God, made reference to like the Trojan War and made it sound like he even perhaps thought that those gods who, like, intervened were, quote-unquote, real. He would have thought of them more as, like, demons, but I think he almost, like, bought into the fact that there was a war in which there was, like, super powerful um, supernatural forces at work. Right. Um, However, like, when you read something like Freud, I actually haven't read Freud, but from what I've heard, he takes the story of Oedipus Rex and sees it more as just our society's um, collective unconscious. <laughs> um, yeah, Freud's all about the uh, the unconscious mind. Right. But, I mean, you take those two differing opinions, and I honestly don't know what the common consensus is, but I think there are some really smart people probably on both sides of that issue. That makes sense. Cool. Uh, all right, so we gotta we gotta probably breeze through this if we're gonna actually get to Antigone. Um, so one yeah. one I really want to touch on is Antigone, Creon, and the guard all talk about what uh, what a man should first serve. Like what's what's most important for you to obey. Uh, Antigone, uh, uh, Antigone believes that it's heaven. Remember that. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be. Oh, wait, never mind. That's in Antigone. Never mind. That's all our questions for Oedipus and Colonists. Oops. Yeah, that's all the questions on Oedipus and Colonists. I was going to say, you re- want- remember that. That's important. It comes back later in uh, Antigone. Oh, but that is Antigone. Yeah. So. Well, but, yeah, um, you want me to introduce the play Antigone? Yeah, um, why don't so, you? Okay, so in the play Antigone, um, so in Oedipus and Colonists, um, there's this war for, like, very foreboding war. Um, Oedipus is two sons who, up until this, up until some point a little while ago, have kind of been like um, Creon rule Thebes, but recently they've decided that they kind of want to actually be in charge, but they're not really willing to get along, and so they are going to duke it out. Um, the younger brother successfully kicked the older brother out of the city and is currently in charge of Thebes. Um, right. The older brother spun around and went off and made an alliance with a group of, like, like a group of nations that have, like, seven leaders, I think. So, like, they're ready to storm Thebes. Right. Um, the older brother even came to Oedipus, in Oedipus and Colonus, and was like, hey, I know whoever gets your blessing is going to win. So, Father, will you aid me? And Oedipus is just kind of like, yeah, no. (laughs) When I asked to come back to Thebes, you said, nope. I'm going to say nope to you. Um, Anyway, so this war just happened. Both the brothers killed each other in combat, and the invading army kind of got, well, massacred. 
Wow. Freon is now the ruling party, and as can be seen through his political views, is opposed to anyone um, honoring the invaders, even though um, one of them is his nephew. Um, Antigone wants to go bury her brother, because if you weren't buried, um, there's all sorts of religious problems with that. Yes. So she does. She goes there and buries her brother, even though it was outlawed. It's a bit of a ceremonial burial, though. It's not like she literally grabs his body and, like, digs a hole and throws it in and covers it with dirt. She, she, like, sprinkles some special stuff on him and, like, says a prayer or something. Well, yeah, there's a bit of a prayer, but mostly it's just so his body doesn't get eaten by dogs. Right. I mean, there is a level where it's somewhat ceremonial, but it's more just make sure the body doesn't get ripped apart by wild animals. But wouldn't it still happen even though he's got a bit of dirt on top of him? Yeah, I'm not quite sure how this works. It's a bit hard to tell. Right, I, yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was weird. quite so much historical. I haven't like, looked into this historically as I probably should if I really wanted to base it. Um, anyway, so Creon finds out that's her and decides that he's going to stick to his gun. He is not going to back down on this issue. And so he says, you're going to die. Um, yep. Everybody is opposed to this. Absolutely everybody. I mean, everybody thinks the, this is a stupid idea. Yeah, like the people of the city come in and are like, yeah, like the elders of the city of Thebes come in and are like, yeah, no, don't kill her. She's a really nice person. Um, yep. Her sister comes in and says, hey, I did it with her. And Antigone's like, no, you didn't. Don't take credit now. Um, <laughs> right. And Antigone's um, fiancé, um, Creon's son, comes in and is like, yeah, don't kill my girlfriend. <laughs> um, and then they even call in the um, blind prophet from... Um, from the Opus first book. Rex. Yeah. yeah, well, keep in mind, Opus Rex takes place, was written second, even though it takes place first. So it's there true. might be a level where it's the opposite way around how you just described it. But still, right. they call in him and he says, this is a really bad idea. Creon um, doesn't make the mistake Oedipus makes of saying, you're just a blind fool. Um, he decides, you know, you're a prophet. I'm going to listen to you. And so he then tries to go and stop everything from going wrong. But he fails. His son and then, like, Antigone dies and his son commits suicide after trying to kill Creon. And when Creon's wife finds out their son is dead, she commits suicide and curses Creon at the same time. And so Creon is left with no family, and nobody really is very likes him, and he's been cursed by his like wife and son, and uh, it, life looks really bad for him. Yep, it, that's where it ends, right? <laughs> yeah, it basically ends there, and Creon's just like, "Oh boy, this is bad." And I mean, you look at it, and you're like, if Oedipus had it bad in the in Oedipus Rex, Creon has it bad at the end of. Antigone. Right, exactly. So, all right, so in this in this play, there were a ton of uh, really amazing quotes. Um, yeah, I, I, I loved some of these. I just kind of want to page through my cop- copy and, and I'll, I'll read some of the underlying bits. Um, uh, one thing, uh, so at, at the beginning of it, uh, I... I Antigone and her sister uh, Ismene, Ismene, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but they're, uh, Ismene, we'll call her Ismene, Ismene is trying to convince Antigone not to go bury her brother because it's uh, forbidden, so uh, one of the things she says, uh, you you ought to realize we are only women, not men in nature to fight against men, Uh, extravagant action is not sensible. Um, it's just funny. It's like that's very. <laughs> I, I, feminists would take offense at that uh, that line. I just well, that was, may be true. That, the, the, like the person that that is kind of the 
the epitome of like the I mean I don't know uh, people today might 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 look at Ismin's life and be like oh yeah well she's she's on her own she's she's single she's you know taking care of her dad she's like you know she's like that was Antigone. Well, she sort of does that. She's more like on and off taking care of dad. She kind of shows up and then disappears for us. Like, hey, you doing okay? Okay, good. I'll go. Uh, wasn't she, wasn't, didn't, didn't she like, wasn't she like good with weapons or something? I don't think so. I mean, she shows up um, and then gets kidnapped. Oh, okay. Yeah, Maybe I mean, not. Antigone is the, like, is very... If you want a feminist, Antigone's awesome. That's um, true. Antigone took care of her dad, faced down Creon multiple times. Like, she really does face down Creon in Oedipus in Colons, and she faces him down in Antigone, like, obviously, because that's what she does. Right. I mean, she is very feminist. On the other hand, you have someone who says women, but I'm assuming this statement of women doesn't really probably just refer to women. It refers to just about anybody who isn't able to like back themselves up politically. So this That's is probably true. also including this statement. They might use the word women, but it probably would include just about everybody who isn't like a citizen of the state. So that makes sense. Like the guard would have probably fell under the similar don't do something if you don't have the backing to make sure you're well not going to get in problematic situations i mean if you're theseus and you have like a whole nation backing you go ahead and do whatever you want right exactly if you're a nobody follow the rules keep your head down and you won't get yourself executed yep well although i suppose the point of this is like even if you do have all the power Still watch out. <laughs> well, I mean, right, watch out, because if you make a poor decision, things will go downhill. Fast. And Fast. Uh, another quote, another great is mean quote is, is when she says, if you, if you can do it, but you are in love with the impossible. Have you ever felt in love with the impossible? I, uh, I think everybody shares that to some yeah. extent. Yeah, though there are people such as Antigone who are willing to take on these like tasks that like there's no chance that you're going to come out alive. Right. I mean, she, and that's what her sister is saying. You're doing something that's stupid. You don't break a wall like this. You don't specifically go out and try to get yourself in trouble. You, right. You kind of do what you do what every normal person would do, and that is say. Too bad. So sad that this guy isn't going to be buried right, but we're just going to forget him. Right. The um, one thing that I often notice in these old books is early representations of sayings that we might say today or, or just pieces of wisdom that we wouldn't think were necessarily this old. There's a messenger at one point that comes and tells Creon that somebody buried the guy that he said wasn't supposed to be buried. Um, and it, he, he says, uh, no one likes the messenger of bad news. It's really funny. He's basically telling this guy, don't kill the messenger. It, even even before uh, that was really a saying. <laughs> well, maybe that was... may be true, but I mean, you hear it even in the Bible. So, I mean, that's not much earlier than this, but I mean, you do hear it in the Bible. So like the like the piece of those who bring good news are like really good, and right. uh, I think there are like quotes in the Bible that run roughly along the lines of the person who brings bad news is really bad luck. Right. Exactly. Um, you don't want to be the guy who runs back to your military commander and says, "Hey, we just lost," or I mean, the guy who runs back to King David and says. Hey, yeah, so Joab just killed your son Absalom, who we were all told, don't kill. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is not the guy you want to be. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Antigone is... (laughs) (laughs) Right, you're right, totally. (laughs) 
Uh, another one, uh, and and t- this is a good exchange between Antigone and Creon. They have this dialogue going on, and Creon says, "My enemy is still my enemy, even in death." And Antigone says, "My nature is to join in love, not hate." She's like, "Wow!" I mean, like, like if there was a modern woman, Antigone is that. <laughs> yeah, um, it's actually interesting. I mean, the Greeks may seem to be very opposed to things, but I mean, the word lesbian comes from Lesbos because of the Greek poet from Lesbos, who was a woman poet, but she still wrote poetry, romantic poetry, describing other women. Um, Oh, I mean, and that's where that came from. Yeah, that's where it comes from. Um, One of the famous Greek poets is actually a woman, but she, her poetry was all written from like a masculine point of view. Um, this may just be because she was re- writing during a time when you had to write from a masculine point of view, and she might not have actually been a lesbian. Right, but that's what I was wondering. It, yeah, makes, a really, was... <laughs> it makes a really good story to say that she was. <laughs> right, yes, it does. Another, <laughs> another quote from uh, Creon, uh, here are two girls. I think that one of them has suddenly lost her wits. The other was always so. That was, is that, that's just a funny um, quid. Right, but Ismene is the one who's like just lost her wits, right? Right, exactly. That's, that's when that's when Antigone is about to be sentenced to death, and Ismene's like, no, kill me too, kill me too! <laughs> right, and I mean, Antigone is absolutely opposed to this. Um, what is your opinion on that? I mean, is Antigone's opposition to Ismene being allowed to take credit for burying their brother legitimate i mean of I course kind of it's legitimate it is. Mean, didn't help her bury her brother and also tried to talk her out of it i mean just the fact that she's her sister is the only uh, right the but only is there connection. a level is there a level where her trying to show her support now like it isn't fair if you didn't show your support yeah. before you don't get the right to show your support now well, hmm, you know, that's that's a tricky one, because if you apply it to real life, there's all sorts of situations where that's not the case. Is it maybe right. a little bit more dishonorable? Is it the maybe the wrong thing to do? Do, uh, well, okay, the, to use a business example, do shareholders that invest in a company earlier in its development, do they eventually get more shares and more money than the people that invest later? Totally. Totally. But, it's, I mean, is there a level where... It's a higher risk you know, and a higher reward, right? So, right. does is she still feeling compassionate towards her sister? Is there maybe some some feeling there? Uh, yes, but is Antigone justified in, in feeling peeved at her sister for not uh, for not helping her out before? Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um... When Haman, um, Creon's son, comes in and, like, debates with Creon, that's a very interesting exchange also. Um, yeah. Creon yeah. What, is... What, yeah, tell, tell us about that. Um, so Creon is, well, about to execute Antigone, and Haman comes in. Haman's um, both Creon's son, Antigone's, like, cousin. Um, yeah, right. I guess he would be, like, her cousin, and also her father's cousin because of the weird situation. Um, Yay. <laughs> um, he's also Creon's son, obviously, but, so, there, he comes in and he like, talks to his dad in this very respectful way. Um, he comes in and doesn't try to push the fact that he's his son or anything, but he does kind of like question it. There's a level where he says, all the people this as like a bad decision I know you're the king you can't hear the people's cries but I'm a bit less of that than that I kind of walk among these people I'm more on their level They, I can hear what they're saying and they're saying that this is a bad idea that you shouldn't be killing her Right. and Creon kind of says do I rule for myself or do I rule for others and Haman's like the state a state for one man is no state at all. And Creon responds back that the state is he who rules. Um, and that if you don't have it that way, it's problematic. Um, 
though Thebes is a kingdom, I think that this might be more of an application to maybe like Athens, where right. you have more of a republic. Uh-huh. So should you vote, like, especially like what you said, well, actually, Athens was a democracy. It was kind of a, it wasn't really a republic at all. Um, but anyway, um, but like when you look at like a representative democracy like we have in America, right? Like, how should politicians vote? Should they like vote based on like what they personally believe on the issue, or should they look at like the majority opinion of the population they represent and like vote that? Right, right. That's a very interesting question, and especially relevant now. What with the uh, recent election. <laughs> Where well, now one political party controls just about all of the branches of government, and how that's going to yeah, turn out with, so, with Donald I mean, Trump and, in mind, and his his populist vote—it's very interesting stuff. Right. Keep in mind that did happen like eight years ago when Obama and the Democratic Party took over, and this wasn't that big of an issue back then because, well, the Democrats control a large portion of the media. Oh. So you didn't like you really? claimed didn't hear that the Democrats control a large portion of the media. Well, no, I knew that, but I just I meant oh. uh, what I, what I didn't know is is that it was kind of the same deal during the Obama administration because not all of the Obama administration, quite a bit of it, the House of Representatives was Republican, which is why nobody remembers that back like during the first two years of Obama's administration, the House was a Democratic thing, the Senate was Democratic, and the President was a Democrat. Um, yeah, nobody remembers that period, time period because nothing happened during it that well, the media cares to mention because the media was happy. I mean, it was all Democrats. Right. <laughs> I mean, now we have issues because everybody's Republican. Right. Yeah. It, it, hmm. So, well, you see, the problem with, with our government is the the power of the executive branch has been steadily increasing over time. And uh, the but, trouble is, is because there's only two political parties, you nobody ever wants to decrease their own political power while they're in office, right? Nobody seems to really look beyond the next person's term. Like, like it, it was, it was, you know, the fact that uh, Obama was kind of increased his own executive power that allowed Trump to have so much executive power. That, that is true. Though, keep in mind, executive power hasn't really increased that much. At least, I don't feel it has. I mean, it obviously has slightly. But I mean, you look back at like Andrew Jackson blatantly didn't care about. Um, the Supreme Court saying that the moving of the Indians like right. the trail of tears and stuff, like, the Supreme Court blatantly said that was not allowed and, well, he said, go get your own military and enforce it. Which, right. That but, was pretty big. Um, then Abraham Lincoln was a blatant fascist trying to unite the nation. Right. But, but the, the problem with that is um, Andrew Jackson had a much stronger Senate working against him. I feel like while in recent years the power of the executive has increased, the power of the legislative has has actually decreased. I mean, when's the last time they've actually been able to get anything done? They, right? They for the longest time they've been so divided well, that not much can happen. That may be true, though. Keep in mind there might have something to do with the legislature being heavily libertarian who don't actually like um, anything happening. The Libertarian Party is, well, at least somewhat important in Congress, and they would prefer you to pass absolutely no law. Well, I think they should... Well, they're in favor of passing laws that decrease executive power, right? Um, well, they're just... In, like, they just like less government in general. Right. So, uh, Isabel just joined us. How's it going, Isabel? Uh, just fine. I thought you guys said 11. Uh, it's it's noon right now. Okay, I'm sorry. That's all right. It must be a daylight saving times thing. Yeah. 
Yep. Definitely daylight savings time. So we, we oh. wrapped up Oedipus and Colonus, and we were just talking. Uh, we kind of got a little sidetracked. We we, uh, we we were talking about Antigone, and we were talking about uh, when Creon and Haman talk about government, and then we started talking about the American government, and... Uh, there's yeah, but... there's one there's one thing that we didn't really cover from Antigone, and uh, this one I'm I'm really interested in is uh, Antigone, Creon, and the guard all have opinions on who slash what a man should first serve. So Antigone thinks that heaven is the most important to serve. Uh, Creon thinks it's the state and the the guard uh, thinks that it's oneself. What do you guys think? Well, I'm sure that um, that would be a, a fairly obvious answer for us. Right. Um, as, as Christians, you know, we have that quote that we can very easily start throwing around, you know, we ought to obey God rather than men. Exactly. But, for a lot of people, it is not as clear-cut as this. And, I mean, what would our culture say? Our culture would probably say, serve yourself, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, mean, I would probably say culture would agree with that, except a lot of times I think culture would also say, like, your country is important, and maybe your religion is important, probably not as much. I personally think I feel play, like I feel like that pol- politics shows the divide between whether people think that people should obey the state or oneself. We were just talking about the libertarians. They would they would probably say, well, oneself, whereas someone that's more into big government would say the state. It just kind of depends on your viewpoint there. Right. Um, I think that this play, however, is very strong in showing that when you serve the government— like Creon, you end up with a situation where you pull too fast to your to the government, you're going to end up with nothing, like Creon has at the end. If you're too strong for religion, you'll end up holding too dearly to your principles and stuff, and well, you'll have nothing like Antigone. You'll be dead. Right, exactly. Um, like, you need to take that, like, moderation path where you care about yourself, about your own life first, and then the other things, and then your so, principles and like your country, and you'll survive. I so is, is Sophocles suggesting that the bumbling guard is the only one that actually has the correct option? Well, he is the only guy who comes out like half reasonably good. I mean, the guard doesn't end up with his family all dead or himself dead. That's true. That's that's very true. That's but interesting. Then, but then, what happened to to Creon? He definitely served himself with this whole insistence that and Antigone be killed in the first place. He was definitely I, serving his own authority, trying to build to to strengthen his own authority, trying to um, do what's what's best for him, and he wouldn't let anyone talk him out of it. And um, that was really where the ball started rolling for him, and, and, and that's where all of the deaths came from. That may be true, but I think that Sophocles places Creon's actions more on the idea of principle. That Creon didn't back down because of principle, not because he actually didn't want to back down. I think Creon didn't want to kill Antigone. I think he felt he had to, because if he didn't, if he says Antigone can go free, he's just said absolutely Anyone can get off with absolutely any crime hmm. simply because they have like favor with me. So I'll let anyone off, and justice is gone. Interesting. Well, I, I I feel like there's two parts to this. Creon, I feel like, is a master. Well, I, I'm not necessarily sure if I want to say manipulator, but he's he's very smooth-tongued. He's he's very good at doing one thing and saying another, I feel like. Would you agree? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't see that that too much with his with his character actually. Oh, Where yeah? would you um I exactly saw some of that in Oedipus in Colonus? Mhm. 
Uh, I saw it a little bit in uh, in the first one where, okay, I mean, it's just, yes, he was being, he, he was doing what appeared to be the right thing, but it also ended up leading to his eventual kingship of the city, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you did. also realize that he's a great orator. I mean, he's he's he has his whole speech to Oedipus where he's like, "No, calm down, man. I'm your friend." I, you know. Yeah, he is a very skilled orator. I mean, he's definitely described not simply as a ruthless king, but somebody who actually can kind of get people to side with him, which might be partially because in Athens, that is how you get like the equivalent of a king is somebody who can just talk really well and convince everybody that they're right. <laughs> True, yeah. Being that this play was written by an Athenian, that makes sense. Interestingly, though, you know, I think there's kind of a difference between not... I, I think that in, in a lot of Greek literature, they always draw a distinction between sticking to what you said based out of stubbornness and, and well, principle playing a role too, but there's a difference between just sticking to it no matter what. And that's a good thing in, in a way, but when they don't let anybody talk them out of it with reasonable reasons, giving reasons where you could save not necessarily save face but you can show how their decisions based on evidence that's come up or or whatever they could change their judgment and it would be more honorable for them to to make a wise decision um do you understand what i'm saying yes i mean it's definitely a common theme i would agree that Making a decision and sticking with it often is problematic. However, I tend to think that that is very similar to just sticking to one's principles. Yeah. I mean, so one quote uh, from here that seems to talk about that. He says that uh, this is this is from um, uh, the Teresius, the the, bra- the blind prophet, talking to Creon. He says it is obstinacy. That convicts of folly. Uh, I mean you well and speak for your good. It is never sweeter to learn from a good counselor than when he counsels to your benefit. I feel like Oedipus could have learned from that too. Yeah, yeah probably. I mean, though, I think that's common for everyone. I mean, the minute you... Listening to good counsel is always a good thing. The issue is, is when you listen to someone who counsels you to do something you think is wrong and doesn't right. you know, align with your moral compass, well, then what do you do? Like, when you hear the counsel of, like, culture versus, like, the what you believe is right, maybe religiously or politically, and yet everyone's telling you something else is what you should do. Do you listen to them, or do you listen to, like, what you think maybe, like, the Bible says or what you think... But I, um, I I agree with you. But I guess the distinction I'm making here is that the ultimate, what what his friends were telling Creon, what his son, what the other characters in the play were saying, was that your decision to, um, forbid Antigone to bury her brother was wrong in the first place. Um. And that you should then back down that 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 fact negates your um, your command to kill her, and you're commanding to you're you're carrying through with this to prove your own authority. Where you should just admit that you were wrong in the first place, and um, and that the 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 divide kind of hinges on that point was. He won't admit that he was wrong. He says that if he admits that he was wrong to um, forbid the burial, then he's saying that the woman is ruling. Well, and isn't there a level where that's true, that the minute you let someone change your laws, it's problematic? No, if... 
if your law was wrong in the first place, it would be better to correct the mistake and and admit that you were wrong in doing that, that you did it out of anger and for whatever other reasons. Um, and that, you know, you, 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 you made a mistake and he could, he could find a way of doing this probably without completely losing all authority. I mean, I mean, he does in the end try to do it. He's just a bit late in doing that. mm -hmm. In the end, that's what he tries to do. He just gets there a few minutes late and Antigone is already dead. Yeah. So I, I think, um, so I think back to your earlier question though, like who, who do you listen to when you get, when you have conflicting counsel? I feel like there's, there's circles of how strongly you take someone's advice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like there are certain things that are like core and then, and then like, as you work your way out from that, they get less and less super important. Right. Like for, uh, for me, I think the, like the, the, the Bible and uh, would, would be in the, uh, would be in the middle and then stuff like, uh, the, the the catechism, uh, Lutheran confessions, those would be those would be kind of next circle out, and then um, sort of uh, religious reading. Like, I mean, this is kind of in like a maybe maybe a more more religious kind of kind of an idea. Like like what's what's most important? Um, but you can you can apply that you can apply that same model to uh, to to uh, anything from your political philosophy to your uh, so so yes it's important to to admit when you're wrong but it's also important to be a well-rounded person and hear lots of people's advice know which people's advice is more credible and then use that to make your decision. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that Creon, when I think it was when he heard it from like the blind prophet, um, Theresius, that he finally says, okay, this is the guy I really trust and really don't want to do anything stupid. I mean, that's what Oedipus did. He turned a blind ear, a deaf ear, not blind ear, um, a deaf <laughs> ear to um, this guy and turning a deaf ear to him ended up ruining him. So right. he listens to this guy and takes his counsel. He just, he doesn't take counsel until then, which well ends up being his ruin. I, I feel like a lot of times um, it's easy to, to think. Well, I mean, obviously this is true. It's, it's always, it's, it's very easy to think that you've got everything figured out and, and to, to kind of stereotype, um, stereotype, uh, what someone says for what that person believes or, or who they are. Right. I think it's important to know that in many cases, um, I call this plundering the Egyptians. You can take something, you, you like, even even the the most terrible person in the world could still speak something true. It doesn't make it any less true, based on the fact that they're the most horrible person in the world, right? Does that right. mean that most of the things they say aren't great, and you shouldn't listen to most of them? But if they say a true thing, then you can. It's okay to acknowledge that that's true, right? So like, right. If, what I mean by plundering the Egyptians is, um, I mean, uh, for anybody that's not uh, super familiar with the Bible. Basically, um, when, when, uh, Israel was enslaved in Egypt and, uh, and all the plagues happened, uh, let my people go, they, they all leave. And then they, uh, uh, the Egyptians like give them all sorts of like, uh, idols and, and jewelry and, and like and, gold stuff, all this, all this stuff that's from Egypt. That's, that's from the land of their captivity. That's like, like, like you're like, why are they taking this? with them like this is weird they um but but they take all this egyptian gold and then uh they they end up using it to build the tabernacle which is the the like uh, god's god's house there's a big tent yeah but so they, first they, they, they like make a golden calf 
Yes, yes, right. They also do use some of it to make a golden calf. But the important thing... So, I mean, you have to be careful with it. I mean... Exactly. I mean, we take all the, like... A common example of plundering the Egyptians is taking, like, the philosophy of um, Plato and making... Helping build our, like, theology in a very Platonic way. But it's a danger that we become too Platonic in our thinking and... Well, that can lead to many heresies. Yes. No, totally. You've, you've got it. Yes. So, uh, an important distinction here, of course, would be, is it, is it truths about God or truths about morality, truths about life? Right. So, it, we can plunder the, the Egyptians as long as it jams with God's law. When it le- when it when it's when it's comes to do with with you know like secular advice and and all that kind of thing you know mm-hmm. go go on have have a free uh, have a field day but it's it's you got to have discernment there. True. Right. Although I I do find it interesting. Right. Yeah. Definitely that circles circles of in- influence thing again, but. One thing I find interesting is how close a lot of these ancient authors come to to getting it. Like you, you, you almost wonder if if uh, if if Plato would have had the chance to have heard about Christianity, how how easy it would have been for him to accept something like that. You you read about his uh, some of his stuff. He's talking about this this lo- this logos. You you read you read you read Nietzsche. For crying out loud, you read Nietzsche. He's like this total adamant atheist, and yet he still talks about in his his writing about like a, a man that's like bigger than than man, like a Superman that comes to save mankind. It's it's amazing. It's it's really crazy how close they get, and yet how they still miss the mark. Well, yeah, that tends to be a very big thing. I mean, you keep getting close is well, great, but. Right. At some point, right? Creon, Creon had that happen to him too. It's like, oh shoot, I messed up, but he gets there, and everyone's already killed themselves. Right. I mean, you you get it right finally, and you're too late. I mean, you were almost there, and well, you got there minutes late, and Antigone's dead. I mean, if he had figured this out like ten minutes sooner. Right. Well, and it isn't if, that just the deciding fact, just the tragedy, that's tragedy in a nutshell, is that there's yeah. never enough time to get anything done. There's <laughs> never enough time. Where that that's Romeo and Juliet, too. Yeah, you're right. But, I mean, there are the tragedies that are different. I mean, like Hedda Gabler, where it has nothing to do with time. It's simply despair. Um, and suicide, but there is a very common tragedy where time is the issue. Right. So, uh, are there any 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 final comments before we uh, wrap the wrap up this discussion on the Theban trilogy? Nothing from me. <laughs> yeah, nothing from me. All right, sweet. Well, yeah. Uh, be humble. Uh, listen to your counselors. Um, I think that's the the moral of this three-part story. (laughs) A moral that you could pull out of this three-part story. There's a lot there. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not oversimplifying it. uh, You definitely are if you're making that point. But yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, Please uh, please send us an email at litsot. Uh, mail at gmail.com also check out our website which is litsot.ml if you forget what litsot stands for it stands for lighthouses in the sea of time comes from a quote from edwin percy whipple that's talking about books books are lighthouses in the sea of time so um if you'd like to read along with us uh on our next episode we're going to be talking about uh the old man and the sea uh don't get it confused with the rhyme of the ancient mariner like I accidentally did and uh, had to read uh, two books. Um, <laughs> so, uh, enjoy and I uh, hope you enjoyed and we will see you next week. Bye. <laughs>